Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I'm your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out. Producer, co-host extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guest this week, the CISO whisperer himself, podcast host, all-around great guy, Caston Thomas, is in the house. You can find us online, IT in the D. Dot com and do us a favor give us a like on the socials subscribe to us everywhere fine podcasts are sold don't forget the 17th today when this podcast is being released august 17th we're going to be at nancy whiskey's five o'clock until question mark no cover no speakers just a bunch of it folks hanging out please come see us uh it's always a good time with the crew cast in how the hell have you been doing all right bob how about you good it's been a minute it's been two or three minutes yeah what's uh what's so now here's the thing i always like about you every time i talk to you there's something new or on the horizon not in a bullshit way but a legit like okay here we're here we go and uh i think you were one of the first people that introduced me to like actual zero trust products not just the philosophy um you're one of the early early you're pretty much your job you made it your job to kind of be like six to 12 months ahead of the industry which is for for security it's nearly impossible um yeah, i paved the way the for everybody you... else to make money <laughs> <laughs> right 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 but no how the hell do you do it because like we'll get into I'll, I'll get into my cynical self in a minute but like how the hell do you know what's going to be i guess the next big thing years and years of experience meaning lots and lots of mistakes <laughs> and uh i uh, you know i I've had some good mentors over the, the years. I've had uh, some really, really interesting things happen to me in my career. And um, I got to that point where uh, the money was good, but, you know, it, it's about giving back. It's about, um, uh, you know, you've done that with IT and the D. I mean, the lives that you've changed uh, with the meetups and with the advice that you give, uh, you know, you start giving and you get, uh, over the years attached to some really good people and Eagles tend to flock. And I've gotten lucky because I've run into a lot of really, really good people. A lot of them you've been on the show, you know, uh, Richard Steenan's probably one of the most forward thinkers. I, I kind of take the stuff that Richard does as far as a market analyst and, uh, he's very good at analyzing companies, but uh, I tend to in, uh, analyze the the uh, the technology more and fall back on Richard and the market analyst to tell you what's good uh, good companies. But it's really looking at things with a with a fresh view of things, uh, and I've always tended to do, to do that. I'm a little bit of a radical. I live inside the box and follow the laws and the rules, but uh, every once in a while when they don't make sense, you know, that's, that's why I fell in love with what you and David started out doing. You know, you upset the apple cart. You did things differently. Uh, you might upset a person uh, along the way here or there, but it was really about in the bigger scheme of things, you were doing the right thing. Yeah. We did things for free, so I would say we did things stupidly. Well, now that I look at uh, <laughs> it's a lot of kids, model, got, but you meet a lot of really great people. <laughs> now that I got kids in college, yeah, I'm like, wait a minute, what did I do? Um, Were you ever married when we when we met? 
Uh, yeah, I think I was married and, uh, but I was kidless, I think. You so like Gretchen just turned 19. So yeah. So we, uh, yeah. Cause I remember you came to the hospital when we had our first. So yeah. Um, one of, uh, so we had Eric Willian, one of the CISOs in town uh, late, um, few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my favorite questions that I always like asking. It's like, there's a vendor matrix on, in the security space that looks like a phone book. And it's carved up into about 17, 18 different boxes. And there's 20 and 30 logos in each side, each box covering each vertical space, if you will, for security. And within that, there's an inside sales rep or a field sales rep that lives here that you're one of the few people in town that is on speed dial. (laughs) And all I could say is like, how the hell does anyone get to you? And B, how do you make sense of this entire just cat maze is that the right word whatever um, this this wreck of i know randy think you can um this wreck of just garbage it's not really garbage but it's it's too much like how in the world is anybody supposed to make sense of the, that whole space uh i took one of those uh in-depth uh not a personality test but um uh it was called the strengths finder test and this is when the light bulbs went off uh, you said you're an under underachiever. No, 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 no I, sorry, I didn't need a test to tell me that. <laughs> uh, it said that I had a proclivity toward. Ooh, that was a long word. Uh, yeah, I, I have a talent. It comes natural to me to connect the dots, and that can be people, it can be ideas, it can be technologies, it can be processes. So, in my mind, uh, look, squirrel, uh, that kind of thing. The the side effect is that my brain operates in connecting dots and seeing things from a different perspective. And uh, so when I see something and and the pieces fall together, I'm referencing a lot of things in my mind that just kind of come together. And over the the years, I've developed a process for quantifying, qualifying, and really rating a lot of the things that I was doing intuitively. So it comes about from just like I said, having a lot of experience, making a lot of mistakes and uh, hopefully not making those mistakes twice. But, you know, and that's the thing, like if you said yes to every POC from even a quarter of those vendors, you would be in nonstop POC world forever. Well, you asked me what I'm doing and I'm upsetting a lot of a lot of people, uh, particularly a lot of the MDR vendors, EDR vendors. Uh, what I call the detect and react vendors, uh, but also some of the status quo in the way that that we go about doing our operations. And one of those things is vendor selection. Uh, I advise CISOs never to have a meeting uh, with a vendor to learn about the technology. All of that information is available online. And if it's not, uh, they should be able to educate someone on your team. And this comes to mind because one of the best CISOs I've ever known brought me into a meeting and uh, there were 18 people in the meeting. We bought lunch. Imagine that. And the number of wasted hours to talk to them about the technology to get to the end of that meeting. And the answer was, as usual, we'll get back to you. We need to talk about this. That's more lost hours because you're never going to get that whole team back together unless it's a scheduled vendor of the month meeting. And and so there were all these lost hours that 
uh, really didn't need to happen. What they needed to do was quantify the technology, qualify the vendor, and then map it against the business needs and the problems they have. And if it doesn't match all the above, no meeting. You know, and see now there's another there's another CISO in town, and I'm just kind of doubling down on what you're saying. You know, there's another CISO in town that wants salesless the vendors to be completely 100% salesless, meaning give me everything self-serve. Let me demo your stuff. Let me download your stuff. Let me see what it does in my environment. And then maybe I'll call you. Maybe I won't. Um, Does that CTO give his own haircuts? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I, I had, I thought about it considering I've been in 25 years now. It's been my profession. Um, and, And all I thought about was the guys that are doing it, the guys and girls that are doing it wrong in terms of sales, right? Cause every, I, I still talk to grown men and that basically run their mouth on green blinking lights, green blinking lights. Look what this can do. Look, we're agentless. We're better, better green are, but we got a better cloud. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, who gives a shit? Like at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's, I, I want, sometimes there's a, there's days I just want to, I want to not leave my profession, but I want to like smack salespeople and teach them how to like, well, for crying out loud, we just, you know, ask them what they're trying to accomplish and see if you can fit in the, in their box, yeah. you know, and, and too many of them want to push these stupid features and nobody at the end of the day gives a shit. And I wish they'd stop. I had a meeting with a vendor. I took it anyway because of an obligation of somebody who asked me to, to talk to them. But I said to the guy after the first get to know you 15, 20 minute conversation, I just want to understand the architecture. There are three or four things that I'm looking for that your technology needs to do. And if it makes sense, he goes, well, I need to show you a demo. I'm like, I don't want a demo. I've seen every dashboard in the world and they all look alike. Now, I have one exception to that, but that's for a different day. But the whole idea of let me show you the dashboard. Gee, imagine that. There's a column on the left and a picture in the middle and alarms at the top and the colors are green, red, and orange. Okay, I get it. That's your dashboard. That's that's your monitor. That's your your administrative interface. This guy was hellbent on showing me the demo. I said, I just want to understand the the architecture. His answer was, and this was a tech guy. Okay. Are you kidding me? He was like, the only way I can explain the architecture is with a demo. I'm like, all right. In my mind, done with these guys. They don't listen. They don't understand what I'm asking for because they've got their process. And that's the problem with vendors. They work on their time. They work on their measures. They work on their objectives. I mean, I had a meeting with the CISO a week or so ago, and he's getting rid of one of their major vendors. He's getting rid of their major vendor. Why? Because the vendor's needs come before the customer. Well, not to talk about my former employer poorly, it rhymes It rhymes with Crisco. Oh, oh that one? I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but I mean, it's the buy in July thing was real. Like yeah. they're just coming off vacation right now because they train their customers to, to buy, you know, I think 18, was it 18 or 19% of my annual sales came in July Yeah, and they're wondering why they can't get one more point of margin. And again, they're, they're shifting their customers to buy on their time. You know, the good thing, like, um, a few other vendors, at least now they're annuity based or they're, you know, MRR service or monthly service. So they don't have to 
shove people into their end of quarters end of, end of years. That was the biggest. That was my biggest stink with this whole industry was making customers buy things unnaturally because yeah. then it feels like you just you swindled right, to me. That's what tonight. I was. Yeah, right. We'll take five percent off. Well, why couldn't you do that last yeah. week? And it won't be available next week. Yep. Right. <laughs> my ass. Um, <laughs> no, but that's you know that's one of my biggest beefs in this industry is like there's way too many talented people way too seasoned in this industry that just do show up and throw up meetings. And it, it's like, you know, uh, God, I wish I could just seriously choke them all and just, just you know, make them, uh, well, know. they leave the meeting and they I, that, complain about the talent shortage and they complain about the, you know, the, the time that they don't have. And it's like, you just spent two and a half hours talking to a vendor that you have no business talking to because they're just yeah. telling you what they want. They think you want to hear and not what you want to hear. You know, just a green light just went over my head. Maybe that's a good thing that I'm competing against those people, right? <laughs> um, I'm just saying. So, what you, what you, I mean, so you, you kind of come in and you're kind of like, not, I don't want to say you're a middle person, but you're that, that trusted consultant that like has kind of blown the stuff up. And then you're kind of saying, hey, here's the ones that are decent. Here's the ones that stink. Here's, your short list. here's the yeah. ones that, right. But like, security's gotten, I don't want to call it weird lately. But there used to be like this whole, you got to have this, you got to have that, you got to have a firewall, you got to have your antivirus, you got to have your EDR, you got to have your, you know, your IDS, IDP, you got to have your, you know, and now it's kind of like this, like zero trust became kind of a joke, but it's like a, the methodology. Well, the it wasn't a joke. A joke we, we don't even know what zero trust is. Whenever anybody brings up the term zero trust now, I'm like, okay, before we get into this, what's your definition? Right. Uh, it became a methodology, not a, uh, it became, it started being a product and it turned into a methodology. Um, and, and on top of that, yeah. No, it just knows, changed it became, into confusion and a marketing spiel. Yeah. It became digital transformation, right? Where it's just like, well, what the hell does that mean to you? Um, so, yeah. you know, and that's the thing now with like, you know, SD-WAN changed the whole game with, with having, you know, you being able to use low cost bandwidth providers with backups. And so, I mean, where, at this point in the game, where do you start and where do you stop? Is it some people say it's identity? Um, I'm just curious what your take is. Oh, where do I start? I, I'm writing a manifesto. Uh, okay. And and I'm I'm barbecuing a lot of things that nobody else is willing to barbecue. You know, the the market analysts know where their money comes from. They know who they have to please. And so there's all these biases in our industry. And, and so I've come up with these five things that we need to do because what we're doing isn't working. I, here's an example. McKinsey and Company came out in January with a report that said in 2017 that 30% of our spend was on what I call detect and react detection. Say three or 30, 30%, 30%. 30% okay. It flipped. And in 2022, in the five years, it flipped and it's now 70% as of 2022. I don't know the numbers this year. Wait, say that once more. 70. So now 70%, 70% of the cyber technology spend it, and by that, I'm talking about MDR, EDR, seams, yep. all of this stuff, um, endpoint protection. All these things are detect the problem, 
And I'm sorry, that's too late. That other 30% now is prevent. So I'm, I'm saying detect and respond isn't working. We have to do that. And I, I understand the whole defense in depth and all of that and needing multiple layers of protection. But we got away from preventing technology and we're spending so much time detecting and then reacting with incident response, with forensics and with all these things. Prevention, the attack never happens. And there's some really, really, really good preventative technologies. Uh, that next big thing is more or less what we call edge computing, but a specific type of edge computing. In fact, if I'm going to rail on the, the industry right now, there are two things that have existed in our industry for 40 or 50 years, and we've done absolutely nothing about it. When the internet was built, there was a mistake made. And Vent Cerf, the father of TCP IP, has said this. He said, we thought it was a lab experiment. It got out of control. It got into the wild and there was no containing it and going back and re-architecting it. And that's why it got so big on tempered. And you remember that whole zero trust story. The whole idea was you can't be on the network until you're authenticated. Trust and then connect. An adversary can come in and ping an entire network and everybody's going to say, here I am. We've got operating systems that are out there that are saying, here I am, here's what I can do, ask me anything and I'll open up, you know, I'll lift my skirt and show you everything I got. And that doesn't work. So number one, and that's why identity management is so important and that's a key piece of the conversation. How do I come in and build a trust and verify before I allow anybody to connect. I'm of the opinion we shouldn't even let anybody ping. We shouldn't respond to any packets unless it's from a known trusted source. Now, obviously this isn't for public web, you know, websites and homepages and commerce sites, but even so, wouldn't it be nice if we had an architecture that I couldn't even get on chase.com to pay my bills or see what my credit is until I validated, I wouldn't even be able to connect to that www until I verified who I am. It's a simple fix, but it solves everything because you can't get access to a device if you can't see it. So we've been talking about this for a long time. I know everybody talks about the weather. Why? Nobody does anything about it. Well, we can't. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm, I'm aiming to change that. I mean, that first thing is trust and verify. The other thing is we've got to remove the endpoint and network from the operating system. And there are people doing that today. Tempered did it in a way, but they still had an agent. The fundamental problem why hackers can get to where they want to get is, is because once they've compromised the operating system by whatever means, they've got control of the device. They can hack, they can uh, disable, they can spoof, they can redirect logs, they can do whatever they want to to that endpoint, and the network and security controls that you have are irrelevant once a, an adversary gets access to the device. So the simple answer is, and I can show you this with statistics and using the MITRE ATT&CK framework, which I'm really, really hot on, uh, because, you know, 
here's the thing, our attackers, and we need to start learning how to think like our attackers because we can learn a lot from our adversaries. There are things they do very well. I'm not going to argue whether it's sinister or not. They can all rot in hell for all I care, but there are some things they're really good at. One of the things they're really, really good at is they think in attack vectors and outcomes. We think in controls. We need to start defending our networks, defending our endpoints, defending our cloud resources with real edge technology. Because here's one of the great things. If I move the, the technology, the endpoint and network security out of the endpoint, out of the operating system, out of the device, even if that device gets compromised, there's no lateral movement. They can't see anything else in the network because they can't compromise the security stack because it's not under the control of the operating system. It, haven't we been trying though to think like? Haven't we been trying to think like that with red team, blue team? No, doing like you don't no, think that's all reaction. That's all simulating. I'm talking about fundamentally preventing things. I'm making a proposition that doing three things technologically. I can prevent, we can prevent, our industry could prevent 90% of all currently successful zero days, ransomware, and phishing attacks. I know two of them. Go. I think. Go on. No, no, go on. So number one, identity. All right. That was one. But specific identity, passwordless, with FIDO2 and or biometrics remove the possibility of failure and put it on, I won't do my Hello Kitty, one of these guys, YubiKey, simple. I'm using it everywhere I can. I can't wait till uh, Chase and American Express and Wells Fargo get these things so that I can log on to my account. It ain't going to do it unless I got that 54-digit key going across telling them that I am who I am and I'm holding the key. You know, it's a simple process. So that's number one. Number two, what's number two? My number two is 2FA. So you bl you blended yeah, it in one. So that, I'm, 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 that identity, you know, trust, yeah. trust before allowing access. So the next one is remove the browser, remove the email from the device. Using something like, uh, well, it's called browser and email isolation. So I'm running a virtual browser in the cloud, and all it's doing is shipping me the screens and links to click. That's all I get. The hacker, it's impossible for the adversary to get access to the disk system or the operating system. Game over. I know. Wasn't Citrix trying to do this 20 years that. ago? I'm sorry? Wasn't Citrix trying to do this 25 years ago? Yeah. But... We give the users because users say, well, it's slower than it used to be yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, We're just going to open up your system to every adversary and have a colonial pipeline explode on us because things are running a little slower today. There are ways to architect that. But we've got to get that mindset of security first. We talk security first, and it's a good game, but where's the prevention? And that number three is removing the security and endpoint stack from the operating system. Not running an agent, not running under the control of the operating system, running on a different chipset, 
uh, on the board. There are a lot of IoT manufacturers and OT manufacturers, medical device manufacturers that are starting to build chips specifically for that. Microsoft has a, a relationship with a company that allows them to remove the Azure stack and put it on a different chip on the motherboard. Boom, done. So we're coming into that with some of the new OT technology and a lot of the IT, uh, you know, Apple's moving in that direction. Google's moving in that direction by having these communication specific chipsets that are running the security stack. So even if iOS gets compromised, they can't get access to the OS unless somebody gives them permission to. Now, this isn't going to stop nation state hacks, but it's going to stop everybody else. Yeah. You don't have to name names, but is there anybody in town doing it 99% right? Anybody in town? You mean anybody in our industry? Yeah. No, no, not just in our industry, but like uh, customer, supplier, you know, anybody, end users. Yeah, there are. There are a few. I'm not at liberty to say. No, no, please don't. Please don't call them out. (laughs) But yeah, I I was just curious. I, I wanted to say yes. I want there because there's way too many smart people in this town. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, you know, I have Eric Willie back on. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, you know, budget constraints and a lot of people, security is a cost center. It's not an innate, it's not a business enabler. So a lot of really smart people get handcuffed because they can't. Right. Um, that was, that's my big issue with it is I can't you know, solve you the might money problem. The I can solve the technology problem. <laughs> sure. Sure. But, you know, there was a time in my life where I, I used to talk about poor man zero trust. And it was really what you it wasn't as detailed. You know, I wasn't getting into the browsers or anything, but it was, you know, save everything in OneDrive, you know, two factor authentication. Um, you know, just make sure that if you drop your laptop in a river, you you can you know, you're not going to lose any data. You know, if password gets compromised. You got two fact. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like. You know the bare bone basics, but this, I'm talking. You know, this was for small, you know, fifty seat companies that that never even thought of that. Well, we're spending so fast. We're not. We're, we're working hard and not smart. I, I saw a really, really great study, and you know, the first thing I do when I, I see a study, and this is one of the things I do, is I look at it very suspect. You know, okay, who sponsored it? What's the agenda? I'll very go, often go to the conclusions first and find out what they're recommending, and that'll tell me. You know what? This is paid. This is paid for study. Uh, But Fastly did the study. I can't find anything wrong with the study or the results. The methodology looks really solid. But they indicated that as many as 70% of all cybersecurity projects are not complete within six months. What? Yeah. Well, you know, other priorities. Yeah. You see so many technologies historically that get purchased, but then they sit and they collect dust. Dead software is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, just finishing those projects, because if you've got a security control back to controls, but that's where we are, that isn't complete and isn't foundationally sound doing the things that it was designed to do during the, the concept and design development stage, you've got gaps. Guess what? Those gaps are going to be discovered. It's low hanging fruit for the adversaries. They're going to get in using those. And, You see that in so many places. The reason that firewalls, you know, firewalls are preventative. They do great prevention, but they get so complex. People get so busy 
the design of the original design of the firewall, something goes in on Friday night, uh, the engineer has a hot date, says, well, you know, I'm just going to open it up for a minute. It'll get it working over the weekend. I'll make a change on Monday. Monday comes in, the boss calls him into the office. It's forgotten. Never happens. Now, yeah. that problem, I, I call it configuration drift. Data center people get that. Configuration drift is we designed it this way, but then everything changed. So my biggest issue I'm seeing, at least today, is these these larger companies that grow about via acquisition and have IT sprawl and have dead software and replicated and their enterprise architecture is all over the board. Yeah. Um, and they try to consolidate and they, they have leases on 16 data centers. Um, that they're trying to, that they can't get rid of because they're stuck in the, you know, they're trying to, because, you know, they're trying to get legal involved, but it's, that's almost their biggest Achilles heel is they, it's just legacy systems stacked on top of legacy systems that they don't know exist. And they're trying to like, they almost wish it could just blow the shit up and start over tomorrow. And it would probably save them years yeah. like of getting to where they need to be but nobody does it because they can't you can't stop business there's a lot of finger pointing too and from a vendor standpoint there's a whole lot of money at continuing putting band-aids on this thing sure that's why they keep that's <laughs> oh, i was gonna make a thing about that's why they don't cure cancer <laughs> come on too much money in the medicine well hey you know it's true, though. It's true. I, I i talk about you know and, and tempered adopted that standard the ietf's RFC 7401, I think it was, never got adopted. You know why? Because the big guys, if that standard had been adopted, it would have cannibalized probably 50 to 80% of their existing endpoint and network revenue. Oh, yeah, we're yeah, they were fighting. focused. I mean, talk about cynical. Here I am. <laughs> right. Speaking of which, me and my wife watched a movie last night on Netflix. It's called, I think it's called Heart of Stone, Stone of Hearts. It's got Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman in it. And it's a technology movie. And it was a fantastic movie, a spy movie. Um, fan, I'm sorry, fantastic for Netflix with low expectations. Let's be, let's be <laughs> frank. Um, and I was so angry at one point. There was like a the, uh, quantum computer that could hack into anything in the world instantaneously, military included. Didn't matter what it was. They... You know, whoever owned it owned the world. They couldn't. They couldn't attack my stuff because it's invisible. Ah, uh, see, um, but I get so I got so angry because they're the, you know these rival groups are trying to get the quantum computer because they want world prem- uh, supremacy, and they removed it from the data center, the quantum computer from the you know from a it was in a blimp in a you know floating data center, and the whole thing went down. And I threw my remote. And I was my wife's like, "What's the matter?" And I go, "It's bullshit." And I'm like, "Why?" And I go, "Nobody would ever build anything with a single point of failure." And I'm like, she, she looked at me like I'm a complete idiot. And I'm like, "It should have been distributed across multiple clouds." And she's looking at me like, "Well, you just just watch the goddamn movie." Like, oh, for different reasons. I always hated the net. Oh uh, yeah, there's a lot of them out there. She was guaranteed to fall down every time she'd run away. It's like swordfish, all of them. At least, I mean, at least Gal Gadot used a Tor browser in this one. So they must have called somebody from Black Hat to like make sure that it, it wasn't complete bullshit. <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of mess. It was a, it was a, I don't know. It's worth, it's worth a cheesy watch on a yeah. Sunday night. I guess I'll give it, I'll give it that. Um, 
So what you're so you were I, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit, but you got into the radio game a little bit and I haven't heard your voice on the air for a while. Uh how talk to me about your stint on WJR doing the internet advisor because oh that was a hey, you know what? big shoes. Oh I just realized next week is Foster Braun's birthday. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, uh, he was this he was one of this honestly, he was one of the sweethardest human beings I've ever met in my life. That that guy. um you know, there are people who are real. He was a faith-filled man. Um, I've said many times that he had uh, more impact on me than any man in my life other than my father. Um, he was great. He, he had the greatest voice. I, I did a, an interview with him, a three-part interview, and the last one was about a month before he died. And we covered his life, his career, uh, his faith, and the process of dying. And I go back and listen to that every once in a while because it is one of the greatest lessons about how to live your life. But even with a um, about a month to live, in hindsight, not knowing that at the time, because he had had spinal cancer for nine years, and just kept getting these miraculous recoveries. His voice still put mine to shame. It's so funny. Oh, all of ours. He was, he was the king. So we did, I'm, I just looked it up right now, episode 274, Saying Goodbye with Foster Brown. That's the only podcast I've ever cried on. I um, remember that, man. You yeah, had me go into. Um, yeah, there's Randy's there too. And oh my God, I had the worst curly mustache going on at that point. <laughs> that was, that was horrible. <laughs> you go, oh. <laughs> no, but one of my favorite things about that, the internet, it wasn't the show itself because the show is like you talk for three minutes and then it was yeah. jazz music and commercials. Yeah. But it was that second hour when all like my dad's age folks would call and they can't connect brother printer <laughs> and I would just sit there and I'm sitting behind the scene, just going, tell him to throw the effort out, tell him to throw it out. And like, there's such patient sweethearts and everybody's like, well, you have to redo the driver. And it's like, go, tell him to throw it out. Like it's like, they finally just like, I'm out. I can't do this. Well, the, my, my the commonality of everybody on the show is we were cheap SOBs too. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. You know me, I drive so my cars a- till there's 200,000, 250,000 miles on them and you're making fun of me. <laughs> oh, no, that's smart. That's smart. I'm, you know, it's funny. Somebody, I just had a, uh, he's a data scientist at GM and we just had him, we invited him out. He's an old friend of mine, bowling friend. And we invited him to a, an event we had and he goes, you know, it's funny. He goes, I've, I've got the same car. I got, I just hit like 180,000 miles and I haven't had a car payment in like five years. He goes, you know who told me not to do that shit? He goes, you. I go, oh my God, you took my advice back then? He goes, yep. I haven't seen him in years. And, uh, you know, it's just funny. Like, it, it kind of hit me. It's like, God, it's like the stuff that you tell people. It's, it's funny, the shit that sticks and, you know, the stuff you forget. You so know. now I'm realizing that you weren't sincere when you were giving me hell about that. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I haven't. We have... Uh, my wife's got a year left on her car to pay and then we'll have five cars in this house and no car payment. So nice. even though, you know, even though my daughter's car needed bright uh, tires and brakes and rotors and struts and springs and for, you know, I don't want to tell you what that costs, but you know, at least I don't have a I car payment. Right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least I don't have a note, car note. You know, <laughs> both sides to it. There's two sides. There you go. I, you know, with with all the tracking stuff that they're putting in cars and some of the announcements that Ford made, I'm not going to buy a car made after 2012. That uh, that 76 Cadillac in my garage is going to come in oh, handy. Oh man, you aren't uh, kidding. Uh huh. You need uh-huh. to EM proof that. EMT proof it. I think it is, isn't no, it? If the battery's connected, it's not. Oh, uh, what the hell am I supposed to do? Ride a bike? You remember that movie, um, uh, Enemy of the State? God, that was a sure. great movie. Will, Will Smith? Yeah. And he, he, he had his old office in uh, Bernoulli box. I wonder what it would take to build a Bernoulli box in my garage. The whole garage is a Bernoulli box. I think uh, you get raided before that it got finished. I don't know. Yeah, it could be fun. <laughs> all, I <need's> a, <laughs> all I need is uh, a pallet full of chicken wire, and I'm I'm in business. <laughs> right. So when are you getting? Are you getting back into broadcasting? What do you? Uh, what's, no what's next? You know, I, I had these big plans. I had big plans after radio. Uh, I have just life gets in the way. That it, I can uh, I can attest to yeah. that. Trust me, when uh, COVID killed the the podcast studios, and Randy and I've been like, I finally got the bug back. Not COVID, the and then you go looking, killed it. <laughs> oh yeah, fair, fair. But then you uh, you go looking for space, and you're like, oh my god, shit's expensive yeah. now. And trying to figure out, just you know, all I want to do is break even because we had so much fun doing that. Space is and, expensive. Uh, Dinner is expensive. Oh, Yikes. <laughs> cars are nuts i saw uh was it the pbd podcast where he was doing the math of like three years ago an average price of a car was like 30 grand yeah and the car car now was like 450 and it was at three percent he goes now the average price of a brand new car is like 45 grand and seven percent he goes it went from 450 to like 890 i know we went from Um, like two percent interest rates to seven percent and connie can't sell any houses because there's no inventory and they're all going for you know twenty thousand over asking and I can't move. <laughs> I mean, I guess those are first world problems, right? Oh, my wife can't sell any house. Oh, I can't move out of my nice house. I'm busted. You know? Well, everybody else has. Well, Randy's got a middle finger to me because he's in his, you know. <laughs> he's, he acknowledged it, yeah. Oh. So you said you were going to interview me. I don't know what the hell that meant. I'm dying to know. Oh, gosh. Um, interviewing you, man. Uh, there's so much to ask you. I mean, going back to, to the days when IT and the D started. Um, I'm trying to remember when did we meet? It had to have been because I got married in 02. Gretchen was born in 04, so sometime in 03, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but how did I couldn't tell you how? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how. Oh, well, I guess I'm not that memorable after all. Um, I I don't remember what I ate for lunch. (laughs) I was just kind of kidding when I said I wanted to interview you, but you know. You've got this fascinating perspective and and you're outside the box and, you know, without getting into psychoanalyzing you, uh, you've got a fresh way of seeing the world and it didn't come from your dad per se. Was it your mom who gave you that? I mean, where did it come from? I don't know. You know, I look at it, immigrant parents, you know, all my cousins, like basically my, I don't know if you knew, I don't know if I told you how, like my parents my grandparents were uh, world war ii refugees uh from germany my parents were born in yugoslavia because they went down the river um there's a like half a million germans there's a whole story um on wikipedia explaining it um and they all went to like 13 cities in the u.s 
they went to Chicago and then half of them, they went to Niagara Falls for vacation. <laughs> they said, holy shit, houses are half price in Detroit and they settled here. <laughs> I'm half the family. So I got half my family still in Chicago. Yeah. But all my cousins either either run stuff or they're CFOs or they're engineers. Like there's none of my cousins are like, I wouldn't call a bum. I'm probably the most bum out of all of them. But they're not all like um, you. Nah. Uh, no, they're, I mean, they're all, they're all, they're all like German engineer analytical. Yeah. They're sharp. They're all smart. Like I, I never considered, I was, I, I was different, different kind of smart. I was never like, uh, I was never going to code. I was never going to, uh, do anything from a, from an, I was never a propeller. Head. So, so how did you, of all people, how did you fall off of the ox cart? I mean, did you bump your head? I, I it's adopted maybe that's, <laughs> you know, I think it's the first time I've announced that. Yeah. No, it's probably it. I don't know. I um the weird thing is this is getting a little too personal, but like I uh, through 23 and me I found out who uh my biological side was on my father's side. Oh yeah. Um yeah, yeah, and the weird thing is I I have a half sister and a half brother. I don't think I've announced this. This is this is the this is the first. I haven't even put this on Facebook. Um but there the, the um he went to Russia when he was 50 and brought back a bride and had a couple of kids. So like I have a 27 and a 28-year-old half brother and half sister. Hmm. and as soon as they met me they they like oh my god the hair standing up on the back of my neck you 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 you're you don't talk like him because your voice is different right but your mannerisms he was he dj'd weddings he was he was a sales guy he was the loudest guy in the room he would always sing stupid songs like karaoke was never serious it was always something dumb <laughs> um which is what i you know and i'm just looking at this going what a what a strange thing that you don't even realize this was my path until you found out that was my path um so yeah it's pretty it's been a pretty uh pretty crazy last four five six months Where, where's the part where you got real personal <laughs> uh, <laughs> I right, didn't, right, right. that didn't reveal deep dark secrets no no it's all it's all good stuff i don't mind like it's funny because people are like oh my god you're adopted you never told me it's not like i introduced myself going hey i'm bob and i'm adopted <laughs> you know it's like you know it comes out in conversation i don't you know it's all good it's just part of who you are. that reminds me of a joke i can't tell <laughs> good don't tell me at breakfast next week i i'll tell you next time we're together and nobody's listening right but hey uh i could i could say I could sit and talk to you all night, but we're gonna we're gonna keep you uh, keep you on time. Thank you. So uh, if you if you don't know who Caston Thomas is, look him up on LinkedIn. He he'll he'll probably accept your connection. Maybe I'm getting kind of picky I, lately. Are you really? Oh, as long as they're local, as long as they're local, I'm accepting. Uh, they're, even if they're financial analysts wanting to have a conversation, no, then I don't. Uh, <laughs> if they work, from, yeah. <laughs> as long as, as long as they're. Uh, as long as they're from Detroit, I'm connecting. But uh, look him up, uh, Caston Thomas on LinkedIn. Uh, he's one of the best guys I know, and I'm really lucky to be able to spend time with it today. I can't and, believe uh, you say these we'll nice see. things about me. I really don't fit the. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but uh, we're going to wrap things up for the IT and the D show on behalf of Bob and Randy. Do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. See you at Nancy's.